This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Lucky to be joined on Football CFB today by David Lee, who former Bury, Southampton, Bolton, Wigan, and a few other clubs as well as a player, works with the Academy at Bolton Wanderers as well. Very lucky to have him on. First of all, David, how are you? Very good, thank you. Yeah, good morning. What I want to talk to you about first, your current role, you're working at Bolton, you're working in the Academy. Um, it's, it's been a turbulent time for the club, there's no denying that, but Working within the academy, in a strange way, could this be a positive for the academy? Because lots of clubs don't have great finances. This current crisis is is going to amplify that. Um, putting putting the, the current situation at Bolton in mind with that also, do you think this is a chance for the boys in the academy to really cement themselves as first-team players and show that they are good enough? Yeah, I think I think from a club perspective now, because of the financial impact um, within football and not just at Bolton, a lot of the younger players are going to be thrust into the limelight and being given an opportunity. Um, squads won't be as big as they used to be. Um, players won't be able to demand the salaries that they want. So uh, the younger players will get that, that opportunity. Um, and you've seen it throughout this season at Bolton. The young lads from the start of the season, if they are given that opportunity, they can thrive on it. One or two will fall away, but it, it is a fantastic opportunity for young lads to establish themselves in, in the professional game. And why not be at Bolton Wanderers and, and, and make a name for themselves? In terms of the academy structure, you've been working in the academy for over a decade now. What What's it like working within an academy? And, and have you seen any real changes since you started in that role to now? Yeah, I think from a player's perspective now, there's a, a lot of givens for the boys. Um, I think early on in, in my career in the academy status, you had to have players who had that desire and dedication and preparation where they had to work really hard from day one. Now, I think at the the higher end of the academies, a lot of things are given to the players before they've actually done the nitty-gritty and the basics of becoming a, a professional footballer. It's been put on a plate for them. Um, but here at Bolton, we've always kept the players level-headed. We've always met them work hard. And whatever they get or achieve, they've had to work really hard for it. Uh, and that, and that's one thing at Bolton Wanderers that we've always tried to do, keep the players' desire and determination and passion to want to become professional footballers rather than have it given to them on a plate. And... I think I've seen a lot throughout my career where the, the top academies, a lot of the younger players have it given to them. Um, they get the boots, they get the kit, they get the status of being at a Premier League club. Um, and then sometimes the sidetrack from actually what they're trying, what they're there to try to achieve. Um, and credit to the staff and, and the football club in general at Bolton Wanderers. Those players who've come through the system have really appreciated it um, and had to work hard and continue to work hard to achieve what they, what they're actually achieving. Indeed, and, and 
in, in terms of the modern structure, you, you highlighted it there. When you were playing and you were coming through totally different times, what was it like for you coming through as a player? Um, because it always fascinates me when I speak to, to guys of, of your era because it, the, the, the young guys now just don't know what it was like at all compared to what you guys went through. Well, that, that's that's true. I mean, we don't have the facilities that the young players have got now. Um, it, it was literally all hands to the deck and the, it, it, there was no glamour to, to the football side of it. We all wanted to be footballers, but there was no glamour side to it. There was no social side to it. It, it was purely turn up for training whether you find a grass pitch or an artificial pitch or anywhere to train on, it, it was everybody mucks in and they worked hard. And unfortunately today, when the players come out to train, they get the kit, they get the boots, they get fantastic facilities. And sometimes they lose the direction or the the aim of what they're trying to achieve because it's already there on a plate for them. And that's what one thing that I found when I was a young player and I appreciated being a professional footballer because I saw how difficult it was and how basic it was back in the day when we trained and played and what you achieved and how you achieved it made you the person and the player that you were in later on in the career. And any advice I will give to young players is don't look too far ahead of yourselves. Don't look for the glamour side of being in being a professional footballer, don't be in love with being a footballer, be in love with becoming a footballer. And if you can do that, then obviously the, the rewards are massive, but keep those feet on the ground, keep them down to the very, very basics if you can and make them appreciate what they're actually trying to achieve. So in, in terms of uh, a change from, from when I was a player, it's been a hell of a difference, but uh, the fundamentals are still there from my perspective where if you're going to be a footballer, you've got to see the, the ugly and the dirty side of football before you can get to the glamorous side of it. That's spot on. And, and you started professionally at Buddy Football Club, a football club, as we both know, that are, are going through really turbulent times. Um, there's a, a Phoenix club being set up, but there's still speculation that the, the original Buddy Club could still play games. Who knows where that situation will go? It's a very sad situation for the fans because, really, they just want to see football being played in their, in their, in their town again. In terms of yourself, though, rewinding back to your time there, what was it like playing at Gig Lane? Because you had five great years there as a professional. Yeah, I mean, just to answer the first part of your question, I feel so sorry for the passionate fans and the people and the infrastructure who work within the football club. They've worked so hard uh, day in, day out to maintain their status as a football league club. And unfortunately, when that was taken away from them, uh, it ripped the heart out of the club. But they've got some fantastic people working there. They've got some uh, an inf- uh, a support mechanism there where they've got those diehard supporters and hopefully fingers crossed they can come back up into uh, professional football and be where they where they want to be um but yeah from uh, from my perspective when i was there as a footballer um it was a real it was a i served my apprenticeship there uh, there's in fact there's people still at the football club around the area uh, when I was growing up and becoming an apprentice and a pro there, who was still at, uh, involved with the football club. So, uh, yeah, it, it was great times. The supporters, you had maybe between three and 5,000 people there most weeks, but the atmosphere, the pitch was always fantastic. 
um, the support, everything about the football club. It, it gave me an understanding of what it was to be a professional footballer. Um, and I've got great memories of having some fantastic times there, not just as a player, but with the staff and the people in the town of Bury. When you're young and you're coming through, what are the senior pros like with you when you when you break into the, the first team, especially at a club like Bury that, that is a, as you said, was a, a strong football league club? Yeah, it, it was a hard it was a hard school. Um I, I was lucky enough to have players of of, of international status of Leighton James was there, Noel Brotherston was there, Sammy McElroy was there, Alan Taylor, Trevor Ross. Um and then you had the other players there like who who, who made fantastic careers for themselves of striker Colwyn and Twistle and uh, the leading goal scorer Craig Madden and when I was introduced to those those set of players um, there was a little bit of manoeuvre for error but I tell you what you had to learn quickly but as a, as a young player if you're thrust into that environment and you're playing with the experience of those players around you it doesn't half bring you on um, and just going forward a little bit to the Bolton situation if you can establish a few senior pros and infiltrate those young players in and around them and make them train with them and play with them, it's a great experience and it doesn't half bring them on. And I always re- revert back to um, working with likes of, of Martin Dobson and, and Frank Casper and Ray Pointer as a coaching staff and being put into that environment and, and an intimidating environment with the pros. But Players are cruel, but they're honest. And if they think you're decent, they'll trust you and they'll give you the ball and they'll allow you to play. Um, but if you do make mistakes, you you know you only make them once or twice and then you've got to learn. Um, and once you learn and you get the trust and gain the trust of the players around you, it, it brings you on uh, so very, very, very quickly. In terms of yourself, as a player who's an attacking player, how would you describe your game when it came to taking on fullbacks, for instance? Because a lot of the time now, I feel old-fashioned wing plays sort of went out of the game. It's more about just getting in behind rather than taking a man on. Yeah, I think it's down to the individual to be able to... Oh, you've muted yourself. You've got to accept that you're not always beat a defender and if you don't beat a defender the defender sometimes gets the better of you you've got to be brave enough to then have another go at him and eventually um, I know with my pace and my fitness levels if I was continuously going at defenders eventually you get that joy but you've got to also have the backing and, and the support of your players and the management and be brave enough to make those mistakes because once you overcome those barriers um, you, you have no fear factor and, and you relish the challenge and I love that. I love to see wide players attacking defenders in one v one situations and getting balls into the box for your strikers. So, yeah, that that was my game, um, and I learned to be brave um, and not be afraid of failure, uh, and it makes you a stronger, more positive player. Absolutely, and in, in terms of the academy structure now, something I want to actually ask you about before we go on to to Southampton, I do a show with Willie Morgan, and, and Willie talks about the the coaching standards and the fact that kids are coached from a really young age obviously coaching is incredibly important but how how important also is it that kids are given the chance to just play and express themselves freely yeah I think if you look at the top academy uh, infrastructures now they coach the boys from a very very young age now for me my philosophy is and always will be 
let them play, let them play small-sided games, let them express themselves. And I don't think it's as important to do a tactical or a technical session until they probably get to the ages of 12, 13 and 14 years of age where, yes, the structure of the team is important and positional play is important. But I remember as being as a young lad and being coached, um, they just let us play. They set sessions up for you, possession sessions, five-a-sides. And you were there just to express yourselves, but enjoy yourselves. And if you can forget you're in that environment of being coached and let them be free and play, I think they become more expressive. Um, and I do agree, when you get older, you've got to be able to understand the technical and the tactical side of it. But as youngsters, you've got to be free spirits and let them play. Um, and that's always been my philosophy. And I think if you let the players express themselves at a younger age, they will become what they want to be when they're older players rather than become stereotypical players. And in terms of being free spirits who, who like to play, that leads me on perfectly to Southampton. Just what was it like playing with Matt Letissier and training with him? I've interviewed Matt, he's one of my footballing heroes and I just loved watching him because he, he would do things on a, on a field that you could only really dream of most of the time. What was that like for you playing alongside him? It, it was magnificent. He was a free spirit. And you know what? He was different. Um, he, he, ne he never said he was going to be the fittest player in the world, but technically he was fantastic. He could do things with a football that most players could never even dream of being able to do. Um, he, he was different. He could score goals. He could pass. He could control. He could feign players. He could get past players. He was totally different. And you never knew what you was going to get from him, but you knew he would always produce something in the game. And in training, it was the same. And when I talk about the younger players now, when they're being in an academy and they're being coached, and they were, I like them to be free spirits. Matt was like that as a player. He was a free spirit. You couldn't really want to coach him. You just give him the ball, let him get into the areas where he would cause an impact for the opposition and let him do his stuff. And I've seen him in training, score some fantastic goals and, and then replicate that in, in senior matches. So, yeah, and what a down-to-earth man he was. And, and it was great to play alongside him. Another player, as, as well as Matt, I've got to ask you about, of course, is, is Alan Shearer. Um, Matt went on record as saying that when they were in the youth team together, if you'd said that Alan would go on to be the all-time Premier League goalscorer, etc., he said at that stage I, I probably wouldn't have believed you. But what he's went on to do is incredible. What was what was it like playing with Alan at that stage? Because he was very young, obviously, when he was at Southampton. Yeah, he he was. I think he's probably around about twenty twenty one when I was there at Southampton. Uh, he was a natural goalscorer. He was he was very very focused on what he wanted to achieve. He trained hard. He, 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 you always knew that if he had the, an opportunity to score a goal, he would hit the target. Um, but he, he was also a good hold-up player as well. You could fire the ball into him and you knew he was going to look after it. But again, at Southampton, it was a learning curve for him. Um, and, and once he'd established himself at Southampton in the first team, he was scoring goals for fun. So he always knew he had that potential. Uh, and obviously what he went on to achieve was because he had some unbelievable ability but he also had that desire and determination and that hunger to want to train hard and score goals every time he got the opportunity um, and yeah it was a fantastic chance for me to play with some great players and 
what Matt Letizia has done in his career in Alan Shearer, I don't think there's many players can better that. But one thing that they both had was that hunger and desire and passion and enthusiasm and drive to want to continue to be doing the best. Uh, and if you look at Alan, when even when he played, when he was at his height of his career, uh, scoring goals and, and playing for England, he still had that work ethic. And he had that work ethic, whether he was playing well or not playing well, he had that work ethic that, that drove him through and, and gave him the success that he had. In terms of moving to Southampton, not only when you when you leave Bury, it's a completely different end of the end of the country. Um, yeah. It's it's a step up in terms of um, quality that you're playing against. How did you settle in, and how did you find that at first? Um, I mean, the players were great with me. Uh, I found it very easy to settle into actual into the routine of training. Yes, it was a bit of a culture shock leaving home um, and, and moving down to the south coast. And sometimes, when I was at Bury, it, it, we were literally a down-to-earth set of, of players and the environment that we worked in. And when I went to Southampton, they had a fantastic training ground, lovely stadium. The area was lovely. So, yeah, it was a bit of a culture shock for me. But I was always probably under a little bit of pressure because I remember when Ian Brownfoot signed me, he told me that he bought me to replace Matt Letizia, who he was trying to move on to uh, Chelsea or Spurs at the time. So I knew that I'd obviously read up on the history of, of how Matt uh, was an icon at the football club. So the pressure was always on. And yes, I did move Matt Letizia out of the team on, on numerous occasions, but over the longevity, I think the supporters and, and the town knew Matt Letizia was a play for them. So I found it difficult to uh, establish myself on a regular basis in there. Um, but yes, great memories of playing down at Southampton with some good players. Um, Ian Dowie was there, Neil Ruddick was there, Tim Flowers, and even the older players uh, like Osborne and um, Mickey Adams and Glenn Cockrell. Great experience for me. So and and, and, and Terry Hurlock, the uh, the midfield player from Millwall and Rangers, some a fantastic experience for me, and, and I learnt a lot from being down there. And and I think what I did learn from being down at Southampton stood me in good stead for the rest of my career. You mentioned the fact that Branfoot is very honest and open that he wanted to move Matt on, and and that's something if you if, if you've read Matt's book and obviously you know him, so you know this, he's very open about that he knew that was the case. Did that affect your relationship with Matt at all? No, no, he was brilliant. We used to play golf together um, and, and he was such a laid-back, down-to-earth character. It, it, it never affected him and he was very, I'd say, single-minded in that if Matt wanted to do something, he would do it. And he loved the football club. Um, he always wanted to play at the top level. I think he should have played for England on a more regular basis. Um, and maybe if he'd have moved on to a bigger club, Maybe he would have got that opportunity. But Matt was Matt. He was happy where he was. Um, he'd established himself as the, the, an icon at the football club. He was playing very, very good football. And he thought, why do I need to move on? He was enjoying his life, his lifestyle. Um, the career he had at Southampton was fantastic. A one-man club. And, and you know what? Every credit to him. Because, I mean, he could have probably very easily walked into a Tottenham Hotspur or a Chelsea at the time and earned massive money. But he, he just wanted that comfortable lifestyle of, of being a footballer and enjoying his football. And he played at Southampton without pressure. And I think if you can do that, it's a fantastic way to live your life. 
Talk to me about Ian Branfoot because a, a very interesting character. Um, he seems like a Marmite character in terms of the game. You either really enjoyed playing under him or you didn't. What was your perspective of Ian? Yeah, he, he was great with me. Um, he had a philosophy about how he wanted to play. Um, and, and whilst he was manager of Southampton, he had a few big hitters um, he had to try and look after. And it, when the team weren't playing very well, um, unfortunately, it wasn't the players who got the criticism. It was the, the supporters gave him the criticism. So he was uh, he had to be quite broad-shouldered and have a bit of armour plating on. And I thought he caught well with that. Um, but if you don't get the players to play for you, um, and in the latter stages of his, his career there, they didn't seem to play for him. He obviously had to move on. But yeah, it was a tough job because he had to manage people like Matt and Ian Dowie and Neil Ruddock and whatever. And he was a good man manager. Um, but sometimes if, if the players just don't click for you or don't get the performances and the results, it, it can reflect back on you. Um, and unfortunately, that's what it did for him. But I had no no issues with him whatsoever. I found him a nice, personable man, uh, a good manager. Um, and yeah, it, and sometimes things don't work out for you. Uh, and that's the way it was. After a year at Southampton, when it came, when time came to move on, it was a move back to the northwest. Something that you really wanted to do to to be back closer to home and, and feel comfortable to get the best out of you as a footballer as well. Yeah, I think once I got to the stage where I think I'd played 24 league games for Southampton. I think on the 25th game, I think there was a fee that Berry were expecting as part of the, the, the contract that um, when they sold me. So I only ever played, I think it was 24, 25 games. After that, there was once you got over that threshold, there was money to be given to Barry. And I don't think Southampton wanted to part with that money, knowing that Matt Letizier wasn't going to move on. So yeah, I was playing in a reserve game um, against Queen's Park Rangers at, for Southampton. And Bruce came down, Bruce Riott came down and watched me. And it really did give me a kick up the backside to think, well, if you're going to make anything of your career rather than just wallow and playing in the under, in the reserves and dwindling away your career, maybe you need a kick up the backside, maybe a fresh start. And, and when Bruce came in for me, um, it was like a breath of fresh air. Um, he kicked, re-kicked start my career for me. And I can't thank him enough or, or the football club and the town and the supporters for what they did for me. In terms of Bruce Rioch, we all know that he went on to manage Arsenal. When you, when you go to Bolton, what was it like to work with there? Because the job he, he, he did at Bolton was, was, was very, very impressive, hence why he got the Arsenal job. Yeah, I think first and foremost, he had that aura about him where he gained your respect and you gained his respect immediately. And he was one of work ethic, before anything else, punctuality, discipline, before he'd even walked over the, the white lines to train or play football, you had to have those in your, in, in, in your armour. Um, and with Bruce, you had to be smart, the etiquette of the football club, the discipline, everything, all the fundamentals that make you a person you had to have them before you even thought about the football side of it. So he put that discipline into us and he made us proud and he made us want to have to work hard. And it, he did that throughout the football club for every single player who played for Bolton when he, under his regime, he made you a disciplined, 
um, a professional person who wanted to work hard and appreciate the career. And once we tasted that little bit of success, wow, it was a great feeling because we just wanted more and more of it. And if you fitted into his way and his discipline, um, well, you saw the success that we had and the football that we played. It was down to his managerial skills. And yes, we had the the ability and the work ethic, but he instilled that into us. Um, and that's something I do as a player and as a coach. Uh, and I'd love to be as a manager is to put that discipline and that desire and passion into players that Bruce put into us. Um, and it stood us all, all that, those players from, the, from that Bolton era. It, it, it made us have great careers um, and it wasn't just from the football side it was the discipline side of it and the desire of wanting to play and work hard for him as a manager for our families and, and for us as individuals and the supporters in the town and the football club itself. When you look at that you know as you said the success that you you had I mean thinking of the players the likes of Alan Stubbs, Jason McAteer, Alan Thompson, Mick Supataline and John McGinley, Owen Coyle I could go on and on there was big characters in that dressing room. Just what was it like being in there? Because I imagine that those characters really got the best out of each other and that's why you were so successful and got to cup finals and, and Wembley a few times. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a family atmosphere within that dressing room. And you know what? We all fought hard for each other. Um, if you're having a bad time on the pitch, you knew for a fact that other players would make you work harder and get out of that rut that you may have been in or that bad performance. But the whole atmosphere, it was a joy to want to go into training every morning. The atmosphere that the manager built within the dressing room and, the, like you say, the characters and the players, it was a joy to want to go in and work hard every day. And as I said earlier in the conversation, if you get that feeling of sort of you get a, a taste of that success that you, you were getting, you wanted more and more of it. So every time you achieve something, it generated that desire to want to do more and more. And the plays within the squad and the characters within that dressing room, we galv it galvanised us. And yeah, there were quiet players, there were chirpy players, there were joker players. The mix that Bruce brought in blended us into a, into a cocktail where it was a cocktail of success and we all wanted more and more of it. And the, the atmosphere and the camaraderie was fantastic and you know what it was like having the 12th man it was fantastic and then you had great supporters as well who pulled us through on occasions on many occasions and we never ever wanted to let anybody down as players or, or as a club because of the supporters that we had around us describe the the league cup final because getting there was was an incredible achievement but ultimately in the end you come up against the liverpool team that had the likes of Steve McManaman, who on the day was was absolutely sublime. Yeah, I mean, no one, everybody kept writing us off and saying, well, you'll never get to a cup final. And that, and that for us as, in, as a, a group of players and staff and as a club, it just made us more determined. And to get to a cup final like that, it was a dream come true. And then, yes, to play against a Liverpool team who had some fantastic players in there, it was a great achievement to actually get to Wembley. Yes, we were disappointed that we didn't win the game. I don't think we could have done any more uh, on the day to try and win the game. We, we gave everything. Um, but sometimes you come up against individually good players. And on that day, uh, Mac Manaman was fantastic, scored two goals, got man of the match and won the game for Liverpool. But 
the whole journey of getting there and then not letting ourselves down in the final was a great achievement for us and, and something that's uh, will stay in my memory for a long, long time. You follow up the, the League Cup final by winning the, the old first division, as it was called then. I mean, just describe that feeling because when you win any league title, no matter the level, you've got to be the best team over the course of a season. Just describe how, how good that was. Oh, it, it was a fantastic achievement, yeah. And, and I think through the season, we'd had one or two little blips, but because of the character and, and the strength of squad um, and the management skills of Bruce and Colin, every time we had a little bit of a blip, we knew we could bounce back. And he put that belief into us. And we didn't even, and I know people say you don't look that far ahead. And we really didn't look too far ahead of thinking, oh, yes, we can get in the playoffs or we can get the championship. We just kept grinding results out. And as I said earlier in, in, in our conversation, once you get into a habit of winning, you want to win more and more. And, and that target of becoming league champions, it was getting closer and closer. But Bruce was great as not as not letting us get carried away with it, thinking, oh, yeah, we're over the line. He just kept pushing us and, and making us work hard. And every time we got a result, we were getting closer and closer. But we, we never looked too far ahead. And obviously, once we achieved it, that's when you can look back and say, gosh, we've actually achieved it. And this is how we've achieved it. And we enjoyed it at the end of the season when we picked those league title medals up. But through it, we were focused on working hard, yes, enjoying the training and, and the success of the games, but only ever really relaxing after we'd won it. Um, because you can sometimes get so close to something and if you take your eye off the ball a little bit, it can come back and uh, impact on you and you can lose it at the final hurdle. But as I said, with the, with the players, the squad, the support and, and, and everybody associated with the football club, it, it got us over that line. And uh, yeah, it, it was a proud day and a proud thing to say that you've got a league championship medal for uh, all the hard work that we put in that season. Absolutely. Um, when it comes to to things like cup competitions, winning the cup is, of course, incredible. But you know yourself, being involved in football for, for so long that when it comes to managers and professionals, everyone always says when you win a league, it is just extra special because you need to be the best team in that division over a nine, ten month spell, a real marathon rather than a sprint. Would yeah, you say no, that, sorry, would you say that's the highlight of your time at Bolton? Yeah, definitely. I think if you go on the longevity of it, you like you say, you've got to do it over nine or ten months. If you're in a cup competition, sometimes you need a little bit of luck, maybe the luck of a draw or a home tie or an extra time or something like that. But when you've got to do it over the longevity, over 40-odd games, yes, you've got to have that level of consistency. You've got to have a squad who has that belief. You've got to have a squad where if players miss out through injury or suspension, you've got to have other players who come into the squad. Um, so, yeah, it was a probably it was the proudest uh, moment of in the longevity of doing it over a long season. Um, but, yeah, but playing at Wembley has been another highlight of my career. But, yeah, to, to actually hold a league championship medal and think, yes, you've earned it for playing all those games and doing it when all those obstacles and hurdles were put in front of you. Because, let's face it, it's not an easy ride. There's 20-odd there's teams who were trying to stop you doing that week in, week out, but we overcome that with the mental side of it, the physical side of it, the tactical and the technical side of it. 
um, and the day-to-day training and the cup runs that we're also involved in. I think in that season, I think we've played something like 60-odd games. So the level of consistency makes you very, very proud to be a part of it. In, in terms of Bolton, you were very successful there. You really enjoyed your time there, hence why you're, you're back at the club. That just sums up how much you must have enjoyed um, being there. When it came to time to move on, describe that feeling and the emotions behind that, because I imagine leaving a club like Bolton where you'd had the success that you had was was tough at first. Yeah, it, it was very, very hard. Um, but in football, you've got to respect people's decisions. Um, I'd had five fantastic, successful seasons there. And then there was a new generation and a new era of players coming through. And Colin Todd, who was obviously the manager then, had ideas where he wanted to take the club in a different direction. And sometimes, if as a player, the manager doesn't see you in them plans, he has to make that brave decision to move you on. No, I didn't want to move on, but I knew I had to. Um, I didn't want to be at at Bolton Wanderers as a periphery player after the success I'd had. And I thought, well, it is time to move on and maybe try and achieve something somewhere else. Um, and yes, it was a wrench to leave Bolton Wanderers and, and go to Wigan Athletic. But that's part of the of the uh, your career as a footballer. You just never know where you're going to be. What it did do, once I left Bolton Wanderers, it made me appreciate what I'd actually achieved there and what a wonderful time I'd had there. And obviously the, the draw and the magnetism of wanting to go back there has always been in my heart and my passion to want to get back and be successful in another capacity at the football club. So yes, I moved on to Wigan, had three seasons there um, and always wanted to go into the coaching side of it. So when the opportunity came to go back to Bolton, I jumped at it and it's probably the best decision I made to go back there. In terms of life after Bolton, it's clear through this interview just how much you, you love Bolton Wanderers as a club and, and, and for me that's great to hear because it is one of the, the real traditional clubs um, in English football. You, you played at Wigan um, for a few years, Football League trophy success, albeit off the bench, um, alone at Blackpool and then spells with Carlisle and Morecambe. How do you reflect in your career post-Bolton? Yeah, I, I suppose... The pinnacle was being at Bolton Wanderers and achieving what I did. Um, it was going to be very, very difficult then to achieve uh, anything like what I did at Bolton Wanderers at another football club because I was probably coming to the latter end of my career. Uh, but yeah, like you say, we played in, in a, a final at Wembley, um, a little bit of success there at Wigan and a lone spell at Blackpool. And, it, and it's all part of... Um, the experiences you get within football, you can have the highs, you can have the lows, you can have the indifferent times. And if I'm really honest, once I'd left Bolton and, and I'd had my three years at Wigan Athletic, I, I knew that I had to take a different direction in my career because I was never going to sustain or achieve anything like I did at Bolton Wanderers when I was coming to the end of my career. And yes, I had an opportunity to go to Rochdale and maybe sign a two or three year contract, I think it was, but I knew it was time to myself to go into a different direction, learn about the game, do your coaching badges. And that 
it was a conscious decision to say, well, I'm going to pack in professional football because I've got to start the new side of my career. And my career was to be, wanted to be in coaching and management of football teams. So uh, I sacrificed a latter contract at Rochdale um, to go into the coaching side of it. And for me, it's probably one of the best decisions I've made in my career um, because it's given me the opportunity to come back to Bolton Wanderers and be uh, part of the infrastructure for the last, as you said, decade, um, and hopefully some more longevity in that. Absolutely, and, and I, I apologise in advance for putting you on the spot. One day, will we see David Lee, the manager? I'd love to be the manager of the football club, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say it. I, I think I've worked through uh, the under-18, well, I've been, I've work from the under 12s all the way through to the under 23s and a little spells working with the first team but if I wasn't ambitious I could say no I don't want to be a manager of a Bol- of Bolton Wanderers of course I'd love to be the manager of Bolton Wanderers whether that opportunity ever comes along I suppose it, it, it's it's for other people to make that decision but I would certainly put my head above the pulpit and say yeah I'd love an opportunity um why not? I've been there many, many years. I know the football club. Whether I get that opportunity, it's the powers that be that'll make that decision. But if I ever was given an opportunity to have a say and, and put my case forward, I would I would relish the opportunity. And, and to be honest with you, David, that ambition is, I think, especially now, what Bolton fans need to hear. Because whenever there's a club, not just Bolton, any club in a sort of tough situation... Um, it's very easy for, for people in and around the club and also out with to distance themselves from it and say, oh, I don't think this is the right time. Whereas I, for me, I admire your ambition and I wish you all the very best. Thank you, yeah. No, I, I mean, if it's any time, I mean, unfortunately, Bolton are in a position where they've not been for a long, long time in, in League Two. So why can't we rebuild and, and rebuild the infrastructure? get the club buzzing again, get the town buzzing. Um, it's what the club deserves. If I'm that person to do that, fantastic. I'd love the opportunity. If I'm not that person, whoever it may be, I know they'll get the backing of the supporters and the team and the town because it deserves to be at a higher level than it is at this moment in time. And yeah, to answer your question bluntly, I'd love the opportunity. I'd like to just finish with around the quick fire questions, some football related, some not. Um, yeah. First one being, what's your favourite sport outside of football? Golf. I love my golf. And in terms of 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 your golf, um, I, I assume you play golf quite regularly. Uh, well, unfortunately, through this lockdown, no, I haven't. But I've just had the opportunity to play in the last couple of weeks. Um, I play with John McGinley. He very kindly takes me up to Bolton Golf Club to play. Um, so, yeah, obviously, uh, I love playing. Um, if there's ever an opportunity to get an invite or go and play somewhere, I, I like it because it, it tests you. You can have two good shots and then many more bad shots. And, it, and it, it takes you away from anything else in life. And, it, and it's great to have that camaraderie with your mates. And, and I know myself and, and John, we play. And sometimes Tony Kelly has a walk around with us. And it's great to, to reminisce and have a laugh and enjoy something different apart from football. You mentioned John there. Who would you say is the best golfer you've ever played alongside in the football dressing room? Uh, oh, that's a good question. The best player um, was Lee Dixon when he was at Bury. Um, 
he was down to single figures. Another player was Colin Greenhall, um, who was a, an ex-teammate of mine at Bury um, and at Wigan. He was very, very good. But to actually play and have the camaraderie and have the laughs, it's, it's, got, it's got to be John McGinley because we do play on a regular basis. He always seems to get the upper hand on me, um, which is good. And, and on the very few occasions that I do beat him, it does put a smile on my face. But John is a very, very good golfer. In terms of um, yourself, what, where's your favourite place that you've travelled to, not, not with football, just, just generally? Um, I think on, from a from a holiday perspective, I, I used to love Florida. Um, the the kids when they were younger, they used to love going on all the rides and whatever. Um, but now I, I'm more of a relaxed person. I like to maybe go to Egypt or Turkey. Um, obviously, I plan to go to Mexico this year on holiday, but that hasn't happened. So me and my partner Joe will hopefully be going to uh, Mexico next season if. Uh, next year if this lockdown's all done and everything's clear but yeah disappointed that I didn't get there this year um are you a tv box set man or a film man do you know what I I can't sit still for two minutes (laughs) I don't like watching any a lot I like watching the sport on the television I like a few documentaries but I'm not really one to uh sit down and watch a box set when the cinemas are open, me and my partner, Joe, we try and get the, on, a, on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night and go watch one of the latest films. But to sit down and watch a box set, no, it's not me. I can't sit still long enough. <laughs> I haven't got the patience for it. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, in terms of music, what sort of music do you like? Um, I, I like a lot of music, but I love Deacon Blue. I think they're fantastic. Oh, I, could, I, could, I could listen to them 24-7. It, it's an ambition to, to meet the lead singers out of Deacon Blue. I would love to meet them. Um, I think they're fantastic. I always have them on my uh, sonar system at home. I have them in the car. Um, Joe, my partner, is not too keen on them. She, she likes different music. But I, if I get the opportunity to put Deacon Blue on, I will. Um, but I do like Meatloaf as well, the Bat Out of El album. I think that's fantastic. And on the other side of it, I, I like Ed Sheeran. So I have um, a, a mixed bag. But if I had to stick my, my head out and say, yeah, it's, it's definitely Deacon Blue. Um, tea or coffee? Tea. Beer or wine? Neither. I'm teetotal, don't drink, <laughs> never touch the stuff. There you go, fantastic. A few football ones for you. Um, best players you've played with? The best players um, in, the t- in the team that I've played with are obviously Tony Kelly is a midfield player, John McGinley is a striker, and Andy Walker and Owen Coyle up front, um, knowing that you was always going to get goals from those. Tony Kelly and Richard Sneakers were fantastic as midfield players. Outside of that, I've, I've got to say Alan Shearer, I've got to say Matt Letizier. Uh, and then as a younger player, people like Sammy McElroy, who gave me the opportunity and taught me the ropes of playing professional football. Toughest direct opponent? Um, physically, you've got, I've got to say Stuart Pearce, but as a, a an athletic player and someone who had pace and ability. Um, I got to say Nigel Winterburn at Arsenal. Um, always enjoyed playing against him, but because he was quick and he was sharp and he was agile, it was always a good challenge to play against him. Where is the, the, your favourite ground that you've ever had the chance to play at? 
I always said as a lad, I would never, ever go to Wembley unless I played there. And yes, I got the opportunity to play there. So Wembley was fantastic. But from a club perspective, I always wanted to go to Anfield um, and, and, and play there. And the, the first time I went to Anfield and played in that game against uh, Liverpool, it, it's fond in my memory. And what a fantastic stadium and atmosphere to play in. In terms of the guys you've played with, who's who's the biggest character you've played with? I've got an idea of who I think it is, but I'm interested to get your perspective. Oh, gosh. I, I'd say Owen Coyle by a long way. <laughs> he was so <laughs> chirpy, bright. He always had an answer for everything. Um, great man. Lovely man. Great character. Um, but certainly was a joker in the pack. And alongside him, him and John McGinley, they, they were a double act. Um yeah, they, they, he was, they were characters, both of them, and, and they bounced off each other so well. Um, and still to this day, when they're together, they know how to wind people up and have a laugh <laughs> in the right spirit. Um, and just a, <laughs> a, quite a, a funny, ironic, ironic story. I played golf with John the other day, and it was neck and neck on the 17th. And on the 18th, I thought it was a great opportunity of actually beating John McGinley. And on the 18th, I fluffed it a couple of times and ended up not even scoring on the 18th. And then I met up with Owen and John McGinley a few days later. And I was just walking up to them and, and Coyley said to me, yeah, all right, did you? Where have you been? I went, I've just been walking up to see you. He said, oh, I thought you was looking for your ball on the 18th. <laughs> so, <laughs> so obviously John has spoke to me and said, oh yeah, why did he up here and tell him, ask him about the 18th when we played at Bolton. So yeah, 20 odd years ago, they were winding me up and they're still doing it today. <laughs> <laughs> and the last question I've got for you, David, is if you were still playing now, which manager in world football today would you like to play under? Bruce Rioch, without a shadow of a doubt, he got the best out of me. Um, I had total respect for him. He managed me in a way that got the very last ounce out of me. Um, and yeah, if I had an opportunity to be under a manager again, um, it would certainly be Bruce Rioch. Brilliant. It's been a pleasure, David. Thank you very much. And as I said earlier on in the interview, I wish you all the best. And in terms of Bolton Wanderers, I admire your ambition and and I hope that you get the opportunity to at least put your ideas across because through this interview, to me, it's been clear that you've got the club at heart and you've got ideas and ambitions to take them forward. So all the very best. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure talking to you and it's been fantastic to have the interview with you.